Hey everyone, my name is Ben Baber. I am the college minister here at Shades and I am pumped to be with you guys this morning and I'm honored to be able to preach the word of God on this wonderful summer Sunday. We're excited Pastor George will be back next week. Uh, But if you're a first time guest, hey, we're excited you're here this morning. And if you've been with us for the past few weeks, you know that we've been in a series titled Warning and Hope. And we're going to continue that series this week as well. And we've been looking at this idea of the day of the Lord. And this idea of the day of the Lord is running throughout all scripture. And at different points, it means different things. But we've been working with a general definition, and that is the day of the Lord is a time when the Lord God directly and decisively acts in human history to accomplish his will and reveal his glory. Let me repeat that. The day of the Lord is a time when the Lord God directly and decisively acts in human history to accomplish his will and reveal his glory. Sometimes things happen and they're not that clear. It's kind of fuzzy. Maybe you guys have had an experience where you were working somewhere and your boss comes into your office and they start talking through some different things and they leave and you're like, wait a minute, do I still have a job here? Do I, am I still employed here? You're not really sure. It was kind of fuzzy. Maybe that wasn't your experience. Maybe your experience is more like mine and you were dating somebody. You guys know where this is going. And they come over and they start saying some different stuff and they're talking and then they leave and you're like, wait a minute, are, are we still together? Are we still dating? And then you find out a couple weeks later that was in fact their way of breaking up with you. Let me assure you that the day of the Lord will not be like one of these experiences. You will not have to guess what has happened on the day of the Lord. It will be very clear. And the point of this sermon series is to let you know what the day of the Lord will be like so that you can be warned and you'll be prepared for that day. But God doesn't just want to stop with the warning. He wants to show you that you have a hope for the warning. And that's what we're going to continue talking about Today, So again, if you've been here for the past few weeks, you know that we've been in a part of the Bible called the Minor Prophets. Everyone say Minor Prophets. And Bradley introduced us to a funny way of thinking about this. He said, reading the Minor Prophets is like reading your vegetables. That kind of made me chuckle. Did I make anybody else in here chuckle? I thought that was a good way to think about it. I hate vegetables, so this is tough for me. Uh, But... If you'll uh, turn with me to Malachi, we're going to be in chapter 4. We're going to be in the Minor Prophets again today. So I'll be reading verse 1 through 6. And if you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab the Pew Bible in front of you. That's going to be on page 802. And so if you would also stand with me, as has become custom here at Shades Mountain, we stand at the reading of God's Word because the Word of God is the, the foundation upon which the people of God stand the basis for everything that we do. Let's read. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under your feet on that day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. 
Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today, God. We pray that you would continue to reveal your word to us and that you would make us more and more like Jesus because of it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. You can have a seat. Raise your hand in here if you got some kids. Raise your hand if you got children, okay? I see some people. Raise your hand if you've ever been a child. Okay, that should be everybody else. I think we can all agree on that. But what do kids do? Kids talk back to their parents. They're always talking back to their parents. And I've got a three-year-old, so y'all can pray for me on that. But that kid, he will, he will talk back to me about anything. It won't even be important to him. It, like, it, I, I'll say, hey, you know, I'm going to go into the other room. And, and he'll be like, stop. No. That's bad. And I'm like, dude, I'm just trying to go to the bathroom. Like, that's what he wants to talk back about. And why do you think three-year-olds want to talk back to their parents? Because they want to be in control. And the sad reality is, we don't ever really grow out of this. And as we look at this chapter from Malachi, we're going to see that as much as we want to be in control, as much as we want to object God, God is going to have the final word. And so before we jump in, let's get some context for where we're at. Malachi is the last book of the Minor Prophets. It's also the last book of the Old Testament. So at least Bible order-wise, it's the last words that we have before we jump into the New Testament. And we don't actually have a ton of information about the person, Malachi, but based on the information in his book, we know that he's probably writing around the same time as Ezra and Nehemiah. Maybe you're familiar with those characters. And we've kind of already talked about this in this series, but Malachi is a prophet, prophet. And the prophet's role is twofold. The first thing we typically think about often is they're prophesying about the future. They're saying predictive messages about things that are to come. But the second one, maybe even more important, and we don't think about it too often, is that the prophet's role was to remind the people of God what God had already said. His role was to remind the people to live according to to God's ways. And so if you're wondering, was that a glamorous position where people like, I want to be a prophet? The answer is no. It was terrible. You had to get up and you had to tell people, y'all stink. Y'all are crazy. You don't do anything the way that God told you. So it wasn't a fun job. Nobody wanted to be a prophet, but it was a, a job that God gave to certain people at certain times for certain purposes, and Malachi is one of those people. And so where are we at time period-wise in this story? Well, Israel is about 100 years removed from exile in Babylon. And for those of you who aren't familiar with that story, uh, the people of God, who are called Israel, were taken from their land to a land that was not their own, and they were held captive there. But then they were allowed to go back to their land, and it was there that they were supposed to live according to God's word, but they didn't. They didn't. 
They were marrying women that they didn't need to be marrying. They weren't giving the Lord what was the Lord's. They were worshiping gods who were not their God. And ultimately, they were just a corrupt people. And so God sends Malachi to expose their corruption. He sends Malachi to remind them of God's ways. And so that's where we come back to this idea of kids talking back to their parents. See, this book is written as a series of disputes. There's this back and forth. God is telling the people what they've done wrong. They're objecting to what he says. And then God has to respond to how ridiculous their objection is. Parents in the room are like, mm, I feel you. I feel like I'm always telling my kids they're wrong. But there's this statement and then an objection and then evidence that their objection is wrong. And this back and forth and back and forth continues throughout the book six different times. And by the end of the last dispute, that's where we're going to pick up today. We're going to see that God will have the final word. And I want to ask you this morning, do you believe that in your heart? Do you believe that God will have the final word? Because what we're going to see, and it's the main point of today's message, is that on the day of the Lord, we have a hope for the fire in Christ Jesus. There's two things we're going to look at today. We're going to look at heat, and we're going to look at hope. Heat and hope. And we're going to see that on the day of the Lord, there will be a heat that separates. And there will be a hope that turns. So let's jump into this first section and learn about the heat that separates on the day of the Lord. If you'll remember that these verses come at the end of a heated argument, no pun intended. You guys are allowed to laugh if you want to. It's okay. <laughs> but God and Israel have been going back and forth and God has been schooling these people on their wickedness. And God starts his final word by saying, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. There's no mincing of words here. God is extremely clear with the people that there will be a day where people who are prideful and arrogant and people who do evil will become stubble. They'll be wiped from the face of the earth. God's not setting up two categories here. He's not saying there's two types of wicked people. What he's setting up is a category of wicked versus righteous people. People who fear the name of God and people who don't fear the name of God. And what he's saying is on the day of the Lord, it's going to be burning like an oven. Maybe you guys have seen uh, one of those metal working factories where you see the, the giant furnace that they have there. Maybe you've seen it on TV. And in those furnaces, they've got just flames billowing out. Like if you got next to that thing, you're gone. This isn't like an oven in your house. I popped my hand on that thing a couple times. Maybe you have. But this isn't going to be like that kind of oven. This is going to be like a, a furnace flames that will engulf you. And God tells us through the hand of Malachi that on that day there will be heat. There will be fire. And this fire will separate the wheat from the chaff. It will separate the wicked from the righteous. And for those who are wicked, the text is clear, there will be nothing left of them. It says, neither root nor branch. 
Maybe you guys have been driving down the street and you've seen one of those controlled burns where the, the flame is moving through the forest and, and the job is to, to take out the undergrowth. The problem is the trees and the branches are left on that day. This day will not be like a controlled burn. There will be nothing left of the wicked. I think one of the closest images that we have to this kind of destruction is the aftermath of a nuclear explosion. I want to show you a picture of Hiroshima, Japan on August 5th, 1945. This is the day before the United States Air Force dropped an atomic bomb during World War II. And you can see it's a pretty large city. It's about 300,000 people. It's pretty big. Now I want to show you a picture on August 6th, 1945. Utter destruction. Total annihilation. And on the day of the Lord, it will be even worse for those who don't fear God's name. In chapter 3, verse 14 of Malachi, the people are like, what good has it been for us to follow you? What good has it been for us to, to walk in your ways? And God answers them here because there will be a day where the people who don't walk in my ways will be incinerated. It'll be even worse than what we saw on this picture up here. So that's what the heat does to the wicked. Well, what does it do to the righteous? Well, verse 2 says, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. For those who fear the name of the Lord, this should be a great comfort to us. This is good news for us this morning. This phrase, the son of righteousness, it's actually only found in the Bible just this one time. And he's not saying that on the day of the Lord, the, the sun is going to come up like you and I see it. He's not talking about an inanimate object here. He's saying that God himself will rise up on that day and there will be healing in his wings for those who fear the name of God. What does it mean to fear God? To fear God is to be in awe of his being and his power. It's like Bradley pointed out a couple weeks ago, there's two types of fear. There's a, a sinful fear that which is pushing God away. That causes us to, to, to push God away. And then there's this righteous fear that causes us to draw close to the Lord. And so if a message like this drives you further away from God, you've got to ask yourself, do I have the right fear? Or when you think about God and his power, are you drawn close or again, does it make you push him away? Another benefit for those that fear the name of the Lord is that on that day you'll go out leaping like calves from a stall. Now I'm going to be honest with you. My dad grew up on a dairy farm. I did not. So I did not spend much time around cows. So when I read this, I was like, what the heck is he talking about? I don't know anything about cows. But then I closed my eyes and I thought about cows frolicking in a meadow. And I thought, how sweet and joyous is that? And I don't even want you to have to do that. I want you to just watch this video. <laughs> I mean, how can you look at that and not smile? Is that not the cutest thing you've ever seen? So much joy, right? 
All the guys in here are like, what is this dude talking about? That's a steak dinner right there. <laughs> but that's what Malachi is trying to get across. He's trying to get across this joy of a young calf. Think about kids playing on a playground. On the day of the Lord, it will be total annihilation for the wicked, but it will be pure joy for the righteous. And then there's this idea of from the stall. A stall is a confined space. It's got boundaries. But on the day of the Lord, there will be freedom. Freedom from the confines of this world. Freedom from the limits that you and I know. Freedom from the sin that so easily entangles us. But if we don't fear the name of the Lord, we don't get these benefits. We don't get healing that comes in the son of righteousness. We don't get to leap like a calf. We don't get the freedom from the bondage of the stall. We get destruction. The benefits for the God-fearers continue here in verse 3. It says, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Even though it looked like the people in Malachi's day who were sinning against God were winning, the Israelites are told that for those who fear the name of the Lord, they will get the ultimate victory. I think that's an important reminder for us today in our age. When you turn on the news, things don't look positive for Christians. Some of you guys that work in an office, it's harder to be a Christian there now than it ever has been. It's not getting easier to stand for the things of God. It costs you more now than it ever has. Some of you may be saying, I don't know if I believe that. The reality is it's coming quickly. Pew Research had some, uh, some data come out this past year that showed in 2007, 78% uh, of Americans identified as Christian. By 2021, that number had dropped to 63%. That's a 15% decrease in 14 years. That's almost 50 million Americans who no longer profess Christianity. It's not getting easier, folks. But again, be reminded, even in Malachi's day, when it looked like the people were losing their mind, even when it looked like it was going crazy, God, speaking through him, tells him that even if it looks like it's out of control, remember that victory is coming for those who fear his name. But I don't want us to get confused here because if we're saying Christians are the winners and non-Christians are the losers, we've missed it. God is the winner and we get the benefits of it. And so we can't say that Christians are good people and that non-Christians are bad people. If we say that, we're, we're wrong. It's not that non-Christians are bad people. It's that they're bad off. They don't get the benefits. And so for those who truly fear the name of the Lord, when you read this, there should be one part of you that's pretty excited, but there should be another part of you that breaks your heart because every time you walk down the street and you see someone who doesn't know the name of Jesus, they're headed straight to hell. You've got that family member. You've got that coworker, that neighbor, that friend. Some of you are like, Ben, I've been praying for him. I've been begging God for him. Hey, I want to encourage you this morning. Keep on praying. Keep 
on sharing because God is still in the business of saving souls. But for many of us, we don't have the urgency that these verses should bring about in us. We keep thinking that it's somebody else's job to go and share the good news of Jesus. We keep thinking that it's somebody else's job to tell people that there's a God in heaven who sent his son to earth to live a life that we couldn't live and die a death that we deserve. These verses should bring an urgency that we've got the best news that anyone can ever hear. It should bring an urgency that we've got to get serious about the mission of God, church. This quote by Charles Spurgeon, I mean, it hits me to the core. I want this to be true of my life, and I want it to be true of your life as well. He says, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. You've seen this morning that there will be a day where the heat separates the wicked from the righteous. And the reality is the day of fire is coming and the fire is indiscriminate. The fire doesn't change. The fire is not picking favorites and saying, I'm going to judge these people and not these people. Everyone will be judged. And so we shouldn't examine the fire. We should examine the fire, uh, the, the substance of that which is burned. The wicked and the righteous will both be burned. So if the substance of your righteousness is anything other than Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross, that will not be a good day for you. But I'm here to tell you some good news this morning, church. Christ died for you. Christ came and he died for you. And he wants to have a relationship with you. So that on that day, you don't have to be burned up in the fire. So if you came in here today and you're thinking, oh, great, another one of those hellfire and brimstone sermons, you're absolutely right because that's what the Bible says. But Jesus made a way. It doesn't just stop with fire. Jesus has ushered in a kingdom of love. He's ushered in a kingdom of light. And that is good news for those who receive it this morning. And so regardless if we're wicked or if we're righteous, there's a response that we have to make today. If we're righteous, we've got to wake up to the reality that there are thousands of people around us who are going straight to hell because they've not heard the name of Jesus. In church, God is inviting you in to share the good news with people. He's inviting us into his mission. And so would we take him at that? Would we join in with him in that? This is something that, honestly, I've deeply neglected in my life. There have been times where I haven't even thought about sharing the gospel with people. Sometimes it takes a message like this for me to be reminded of the seriousness that there will be people who will spend their eternity in hell if I don't tell them about Jesus. Don't be like me. Don't believe the lie that everyone around you is all right. That's what I believed so often, is that everyone around me is fine. They're not. Some of you are sitting in here, you're like, Ben, I'm the one who's not all right. I'm the one who needs this help, this hope. 
So if you're still living for self, I plead with you this morning, repent. Repent. You may be saying to yourself, Ben, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. You're just like those other people. You keep telling me I'm a bad person. Ben, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know why I am the way that I am. You're right. I don't know why you are the way you are. I don't know what you've been through. But I know one who cares for you. I know one who loves you and came for you and died for you so that he can have a relationship with you. See, the Israelites, they could never get it right. They kept messing up and they'd come back to God and then they'd mess up and they'd come back to God and God said, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to send them something that will actually turn their hearts And the person he sent wants a relationship with you this morning. He wants to bring you hope in a time that seems hopeless. But what will this hope look like as that day approaches? It'll be a hope that turns. When we look at verses 4 through 6, we see it is actually kind of an addendum to the book of Malachi. It's a concluding appendix, so to speak. If those are big words, it's like the oh yeah, by the way, or the P.S., Uh, Malachi, who's speaking for God, starts by saying in verse 4, he says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. This word remember here is not uh, memorialize. It's not like, hey, think about the fact that I sent a word to Moses at Horeb. No, he's not saying that. He's saying act in obedience to the law. Be reminded and act accordingly. But why is God telling the people to remember here? I love what John Piper says. He says, because the past exerts power in the present through the gift of memory. The past exerts power in the present through the gift of memory. When we think about the faithfulness of God in the past, we're reminded of his faithfulness to come in the future. Don't miss this, church. God's past faithfulness is an indicator of his future faithfulness. Throughout all of scripture, God has reminded the people to live according to his word. Why? Because he knows that if they will live according to his word, their lives will be so much better. And so while there is a point of application here for us that we cannot overstate the power and the necessity to have our lives shaped by the word of God, what I actually think God is reminding the Israelites of here is remember what my word points to. It points to the reality that we need a savior. It points to a coming Messiah, a promised deliverer. And now you and I, we actually sit in a different place than this original audience, the people who Malachi was writing to, because they didn't know who this Messiah was. They just knew that somebody was coming. But we know who that is. We know that it's Jesus. He's the promised deliverer. And so what we're doing in remembering the word is we're constantly coming back to it to have it shape our lives so that we can become more and more and more conformed to the image of Christ. The Bible is not given to us so that we can just be better people. It's not just good moral teaching. It's given to us so that we can become more like Jesus The Bible doesn't just make us better people, it makes us more like Jesus, and that's a critical distinction for us to make. 
We don't just worship the Christian life. We worship the Christian God. That's what the Bible does for us. And so as we become more like Jesus, according to the, to the scriptures, we're changed on the inside. And because we're changed on the inside, the world around us becomes radically different. And so if someone's like, yeah, I believe in Jesus, and, and there's nothing different about the way they live, there's nothing different about the world that's around them, my question to that person is, do you actually understand the hope that you have in him? Because this is a real hope. This is a hope that transforms people. This is a hope that changes people from the inside out. And when it happens, you can't be different. The gospel changes everything. So it's important for us to always be reminded of what God has said so that when the day of the Lord approaches, we'll be ready. We take a look back here in verse 4. But then in verse 5, we look forward to God's final victory. He says, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. See, we already know that on the day of the Lord, God will have the final victory. And that is good news for us this morning, church. But what we see here in this, I will send you the prophet Elijah is actually pretty interesting. It's my opinion that there's a two-stage fulfillment here. And so there's this idea that this Elijah-like figure has come, but also that he will come in the future. And again, it's my opinion that the, the has come can be seen in John the Baptist coming to prepare the way for Jesus at his first coming. But it's pretty clear from the New Testament writings that Jesus nor the apostles believed that this was going to be the final fulfillment of this prophecy. The will come can be seen at the end of days in Revelation. There's going to be multiple witnesses and one of those is going to tell people to, to turn from their wicked ways. And that will be when Jesus comes again. And so we're going to be thankful, you know, for that day. And we were thankful when John the Baptist came preparing the way for Jesus the first time. But what I think is most important is that this serves as a signpost to the fact that Jesus is coming again. What do you think of when you see this picture? My son screams out, Chick-a-fe! That's, that's what he calls it. He loves it. When you see this picture, you don't think, man, what a great sign. You don't think to yourself, wow, what a good sign. How awesome is that sign? No, you think about juicy chicken. <laughs> That's what you think about. <laughs> That's when you see this sign, your mouth kind of waters. I'm sorry I did this to you on a Sunday because it's closed. But when you see this, you think about juicy chicken. You don't think about what a great sign. And so we're, when we're looking at a signpost, we're not admiring the sign itself. We're admiring the thing that the sign points to. And so we're not admiring these Elijah-like figures. We're admiring the person that they point to, Jesus Christ, the risen king of the universe, the one who came to transform people from the inside out. That's what we admire. And so as we finish up today, it's important for us to be reminded that on the day of the Lord, we have a hope for the fire in Christ Jesus. And that day will bring a heat that separates the wicked from the righteous. And we talked about this idea that if your substance is anything other than the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that that day will not be good for you. This morning we've looked at everything but verse 6. 
That's where we're going to close. Verse 4 says, look back to what God has said. Verse 5 says, look forward to God's final victory. And verse 6 shows us what God's desire is for all humans. It says, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This seems like the opposite of what's happening in the West right now. The nuclear family has fallen on hard times. They're being ripped apart. Nobody's lifting them up. Dads don't like their kids. Kids don't really like their dads. I mean, when you read this, you're like, man, that would be nice if that would happen. But I don't think this is just talking about dads and sons getting along. I I don't think this is just talking about behavior modification. Church, this is talking about a heart transplant. Throughout the law and the prophets, God has told the people that there will be a day where he's not just going to come do some heart surgery. He's not just going to fix things up. He's going to give you a new heart. And verse 6 is talking about a day where people turn in radical repentance because of the new heart that they've been given. And again, this reward is far greater than dads and sons getting along. It is the fact that we get to spend eternity with God in heaven forever. So what do you do with this? How do you take a message like this and apply it to your life? You live today in light of that day. What needs to change in your life because you've been given a new heart? Maybe it actually is your relationship with your family. Maybe there's some forgiveness that you need to extend to them. We've been talking about that a lot here lately. Maybe you actually do need to extend them the mercy that God has extended to you in Jesus. Maybe that's what needs to change this morning. Maybe it's to understand the idolatry that you've got in your life. See, the people of Israel, they were worshiping gods who weren't their gods and we're not that much different. We worship materialism. We worship politics financial security, the list goes on. What do you need to stop worshiping today so that you can start worshiping God? Y'all, again, I'm going to be honest. There have been times in my life where God hadn't even been the closest to the highest thing that I've worshiped. I'm constantly, even now, I'm constantly being drawn away from him, constantly. But I have to change because I've been given a new heart. I can't just say, whatever, I have to change. I have to be drawn back to his heart. So what is it that's got to change in your life today? Because you've been given a new heart. And maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, Ben, I got a lot that needs to change. I got a ton that needs to change. Hey, I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you asked Jesus for a new heart? Have you asked God to make you a new creation? If you've never made the the decision to follow Jesus, I wish today would be the day. We'd love to talk to you about that. After I finish up here, we're going to respond and we're going to have pastors and prayer team down here. And we would love to talk to you about making the decision to follow Jesus. Maybe you're one of the people that we were talking about earlier who's praying for somebody to come to faith. That neighbor that coworker, that family member. 
This morning, I want to invite you to bring that person's name to the altar and lift it up to God the Father so that you don't have to do it by yourself, but that the whole church can join in with you praying for that person's salvation. We don't want you to pray alone. And maybe this isn't a salvation experience for you. Maybe you heard this message this morning. You're like, I got to get serious about this. If I'm going to say that I'm this kind of person, I need to make a commitment to remembering what God has said and living in light of what God will do in the future. Maybe this morning you need to come forward and make a commitment to walk in the ways of the Lord. Make a commitment to fear his name. Church, whatever it is, we want to flood the altar this morning. We don't just want you to sit in your seats. We want to flood the altar with prayers of salvation, prayers of repentance, prayers of confession, prayers to be a bold witness to go out into a world that despises you. Psalm 46, it says, come behold the works of God. God has been in the business of answering prayers for a really long time. And he's really good at it. But we have to take him at his word. We have to bring our requests to the feet of the Father. Come behold the works of God this morning. And remember, on the day of the Lord, we have a hope for the fire in Christ Jesus. Let's worship together.